Dear Father, as we come here today, we really want to thank you for Easter and uh, we pray that you will help us to understand through your word exactly just how we should respond to it and we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, Amen. Now, um, I guess if you ask someone a question, uh, why should I be a Christian or uh, why did you become a Christian, they might answer something like this. They might say, oh, you know, I became a Christian because I was born into a Christian family. Or maybe I've got Christian friends who brought me to church. Or even that, you know, God did something for me. You know, he, he, he helped me do well my exams. Or some supernatural thing happened to me. But sometimes, you know, when you ask people that question, why should I become a Christian? Or why did you become a Christian? It's a very personal, subjective thing. You know, it becomes a life experience thing. And all of us have different life experiences. You know, what you experience in life is very different from how other people experience in life. So why should we become Christians? And why do people become Christians? Well, the Bible actually doesn't relate to us in subjective ways, uh, personal ways. It's not really interested in what I felt, uh, what I experienced, or even my relationships with people. Uh, The Bible says that we should seriously consider Jesus, not based on our subjective feelings, but more in terms of objective reason, uh, reasonable evidence, uh, logical thinking. And today, as we look at uh, God's Word... Uh, especially in Easter time, one of the main things that people say, and I mean, if you look in the Bible, is that we should become Christians because the Bible keeps talking about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, you might ask yourself, it doesn't seem like a very hard, objective reason to become a Christian because we always think in the world's eyes that faith is something which is opposed to logic. You know, if you think of, when you speak to people who are, you know, in the world, they say, faith, okay, that's, you know, if you believe in something on faith, then it cannot be based on logic. You know, it's like blind faith. Faith is where you believe in something which is unbelievable. But when you look at the Bible, surprisingly, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not seen to be something which is illogical or unreasonable or unbelievable but it's actually seen to be something which is very believable, very real, and very reasonable. In fact, it seems to be the most logical thing that you should do. Now, everybody knows that Jesus died on the cross. Now, uh, even if a non-Christian comes along, they'll say, yeah, Jesus was on the cross, because you go to churches and there are always crosses everywhere, or you see people wearing crosses. So you know that Jesus hung on the cross. But one thing that many people don't know is that Jesus was certified dead, on the cross. I bet you didn't know that, right? But in the Mark chapter 15, this is what it says. Okay, so if you look up here on this slide. Oh, no slide. Oh, look for Easter Talk 2011. Okay, sorry, Easter Talk 2011. Okay, but I'll read it to you. Mark chapter 15, verse 42. Okay? It says, It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, what is the most traumatic distressing, disturbing situation you found yourself in. Uh, I think when I look back on my life, it has, usually has to do with death. 
uh, not my death, because obviously, you know, I wouldn't be remembering anymore. But uh, when I remember death, it was my mum's death. And I still remember the situation. It was very distressing, right? We went to sleep at about uh, Sunday night. And then we heard a knock on the door. Okay, and my, my dad was in his pyjamas. Okay, my dad was in his pyjamas. And uh, he says to us, it's about 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, midnight. He says, you know, my mom who had been suffering from cancer was not doing very well. We need to bring her to the hospital. And we were saying, do you think she's strong enough to get into the car? And we said, no, no maybe not. We better call the ambulance. So while he went to change and get her things, he got me to call the ambulance. But in between calling the ambulance and the ambulance coming, my mom died. And we were all very distressed, all very sad. You know, we were all very upset. And then the ambulance came. We didn't even know the ambulance came. And uh, I went downstairs and I told the ambulance, you know, no point coming anymore, right? It's too late already. They said, oh no, no, we have to come and we have to check that your mom actually passed away. So the three paramedics all went upstairs. They all checked my mom. Yep, she's dead. Then we still have to, uh, I didn't realize how complicated it was. We still have to call the funeral director. So we called the funeral director and the funeral director said, oh no, no, we can't pick up the body until you get a doctor to certify that the, that the person is actually dead. I said, but the, the ambulance people already certified. He said, oh no, no, you need a doctor to do it. So, you know, 2 o'clock on Monday morning, where are you going to get a doctor? So anyway, I called around and then finally, I found a doctor who was uh, willing to come to certify that my mother was dead and I think about 3 o'clock, he certified. Now, as we look at this passage, we see that Jesus, as he hung on the cross, uh, was certified dead, but not by a medical examiner, there was not, no ambulance, uh, you know, paramedic then, but by people who were very skilled at diagnosing death. Uh, it was a soldier. And in those days, uh, the soldiers, there was a dedicated squad of soldiers who were in charge of executing people. And they were expert in death. And if you notice here, if you look up the slide again, Alan, um, the next slide, uh, you'll see that uh, the governor, the time conscious pilot, he didn't ask just any soldier, he asked the head soldier, the centurion, to check if Jesus was dead. It's, it's a bit like not just having a doctor come and check if someone is dead, but like the head of the hospital comes to check on uh, whether someone is dead. And this person certified and witnessed that Jesus was dead, and therefore the body was released. And I want to uh, touch on this point about witnessing. Because in the society that we live in, uh, the legal system, the justice system, tells us that actually witnesses and uh, witnessing is very important. I mean, you may watch uh, CSI, Miami, <coughs> New York, whatever, and uh, you think, okay, everything is by DNA, right? Or maybe by fingerprint or DNA, you know, some sort of thing. But actually, the reality is in most law cases, if you look in the newspaper, it's always about witnesses. Witnesses. If you have a reliable witness, then something that happened can be proved beyond reasonable doubt. And if you have many, many witnesses, then even more so, you can be more so that something happened. So here, we see that this centurion provides expert eyewitness. He's an expert witness to show that Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago. But for many of us, we think, well, actually we have no trouble believing that Jesus died. But is the, the problem is, did Jesus rise again? See, that is the big problem because people dying, that happens to everyone. Right? It happens all the time. But people rising from the dead, is that really possible or is it impossible? Right? So, 
as we look at Luke, the passage that we just saw just a moment ago, the next slide. Yep. You see that when, um, when Jesus arose from the dead, what was the reaction of the disciples? Uh, they were, it says here, frightened and startled. Now, uh, I'm sure that many of you have gone to at least uh, one single funeral or wake. Correct? Anybody here has not been to a funeral or wake? No, I think all of us has, has, uh, has had someone, even a distant relative, who's died and we've gone to the funeral or wake. But uh, has anybody here actually gone to a funeral or wake where the dead person has actually gotten out of the casket? No, right? But imagine if a dead person from the casket got up and sat up and got out of the casket, climbed out and walked to your table and sat down next to you. How would you feel? You would feel frightened and startled, correct? But after you get over the initial fear and being startled, then what would you do? You probably think, ah yeah, that, you know, maybe someone's pulling a trick on me. Right? Maybe it's the guy's twin brother or twin sister and he's trying to, you know, make me scared. So you ask, you know, where's your IC? You know, is that really you? But isn't that what Jesus does as well? He says, look, it's really me. I don't have my, my blue IC with me because, you know, no, no IC in doing those days. But look at my hands. Look, these are the holes that were made by the nails. Right, put your finger in it. Can you feel it? So they sat down and they saw him and they touched him. But later on, as we saw, he also ate with them. Do you remember as the reading was read, Jesus ate with them. Now why did Jesus want to eat? Is it because he's very hungry? Because you know, he'd been dead for three days. So you know, big appetite. No, I think he wanted to eat with them because he wanted to show them that he was really alive. See, I think ghosts would find it difficult to eat because, you know, I don't know what will happen. Maybe the food will just drop down to the ground or something. Or you see the food going through their body. Who knows? Right. But here, Jesus doesn't eat for his own sake, but he eats for the sake of the eyewitnesses. Because what he wants to do is he wants to make sure that the evidence of his resurrection is very good. And that's why if you look at the next slide, it's very important. He says to them, you are witnesses of these things. See, the role of the disciples is not just to hang around Jesus as he was walking around the countryside and to go on preaching after this, but one of the main things, the main things for the disciples were that they were to be eyewitnesses. See, eyewitness is very important. See, if you go to a court of law, the judge has not been at the scene of the crime. The lawyer has not been at the scene of the crime. Uh, the police has been at the scene of the crime, but after it's too late. But only the eyewitness knows what happens. But through their testimony, the judge and the lawyers can also know what happened too. Beyond reasonable doubt. And that's the same thing for us. Through the witnesses of what happened in the resurrection of Jesus, we can also know beyond reasonable doubt what happened. Now I want to ask you a question. So you look up here on this slide. Okay, what is this? This is the mer lion, okay? If you don't know this, then uh, you're not Singaporean. Okay? Uh, you, you, you can't apply for Singapore passport also, because it's a basic question. Now, second uh, question if you want to apply for Singapore uh, passport is, uh, is the mer lion responsible for the independence of Singapore? Yes or no? No, right? 
How did the Merlin Lion come about? It was the figment of imagination of the Singapore Tourist Board. Right? It's true. I'm not making it up. Okay? It's true, right? But how does the separation of Singapore really come about? Okay, the next slide. It comes from the separation from Malaysia and Singapore, you know, all those years ago. And how do we know? Were you there? Were you in the same room? No, we weren't. We know it comes true, or it is true, because of the eyewitness accounts in the newspaper, through people testifying, you know, that's how we know. So for the same thing for us as Christians, we do not have blind faith that Jesus rose from the dead because we believe the unbelievable, but we believe the logical, the reasonable, something that is attested to by eyewitnesses. And uh, Mark stole my thunder because he quoted from this passage, but I think it's, uh, it's still the main passage that we need to look at. Next slide. Because in Acts chapter 15, uh, sorry, in Acts chapter 15, um, oh, no, it's not Acts chapter 15. This is 1 Corinthians 15, I think. Which is what um, Mark quoted to us. So, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one normally born. Now here we have eyewitness testimony from 1, 12, that's 13, 513, plus 14, 514, plus other people. So, we have more than enough evidence, eyewitness testimony, to know that the resurrection of Jesus is real. And that's why it's really strange, isn't it? Because the word that keeps appearing here is the word, what? I've highlighted it for you. Appeared. These people saw Jesus. These people did not imagine Jesus. And that's why when people say, oh, I need more proof about the resurrection of Jesus, then the question I ask them is, are you being reasonable? Because, in a court of law, this is reasonable proof. Right? This is reasonable and logical proof. It is unreasonable to ask for more proof because how much more proof do you want? Now, the problem for many people is it is not that they uh, don't dispute about Jesus' resurrection. It's like they just don't have time to think about it. Isn't that the problem? We're all very busy, right? In modern society, it says that we are all uh, asset-rich but time poor. So most of us, we don't uh, really think about Jesus very much. And I think it's true, isn't it? Because lots of truth or facts in this world have very little impact on the way that we live day to day. So even if you look at the newspaper, yala, you know, there's a, there's a tsunami in Japan, there's a nuclear problem. But does it really bother me day to day? Not really, right? Unless the radiation comes all the way to Singapore. Nothing, it doesn't really affect me. Uh, think about the budget deficit in America. Does it affect me? No, it doesn't. Uh, I mean, maybe indirectly it affects my job or something, but it doesn't really affect me. I mean, a lot of things that we, we, we know are true have no impact on my life or your life or anybody's life in Singapore. Uh, that's why, you know, sometimes cable news is not very helpful because it just makes you worry for nothing, right? But... As we come to Easter weekend, I think the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually means something. It does have an importance in the way 
that we should live day to day, year to year, week to week. Because the resurrection of Jesus is not something which just has no meaning. There is meaning in the resurrection of Jesus. See, the Bible says that there are four main implications of the resurrection of Jesus for our day-to-day life. Okay, and these are the four implications. So I'll put it up here, right? Next slide. The first thing is, in Romans chapter 4, it says, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. Now, this is very important because imagine if I said to you, I'm going to die for your sins and then tomorrow I died. What difference does it make for you? You don't know, right? I mean, how do you know if I, what I said was really true? But Jesus said, I'm going to die for you and I'm going to rise again. And he does. So you know that what he said actually has effect. It is effective. Because he came back from the dead and he can tell us, yes, my death for you really worked. I took away your sins through my death. Now I remember, uh, I uh, had my hepatitis injections. Have you all had hepatitis injections before? Vaccination? Okay, it's very important. You should take it. It's not very expensive. But anyway, I think uh, if you have hepatitis injections, I can't remember whether it's hepatitis B or C, but one of them, you need more than one vaccination. Do you know that? Like you take one and then a few weeks later, you, you, you take another one, then you take a blood test to see whether the vaccination really worked. Now, I think it's the same thing with Jesus. You know, when he dies on the cross, how do you know it really works? How do you know if the, if the sin vaccination really takes? Well, we only know, not because we have a blood test, but because Jesus rises from the dead. And if that's true, that means we have a sin problem and we need forgiveness. And we need to believe in Jesus to have a relationship with God. Because without that forgiveness, there is no relationship with God. The second thing is, if you look here, the resurrection of Jesus tells us that He is the Son of God. It says here in Romans chapter 1, verse 3, Regarding His Son, who as to His human nature was a descendant of David, and through the Spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, that's so important because many people say, well, you know, I don't know, how do you know God really exists? Have you seen God? Has God spoken to you? Well, this passage of the Bible says, if you had lived 2,000 years ago and many thousands of uh, kilometers to the west, right, west, northwest, you would have met God and you would have spoken to Him. And how do you know that? Because Jesus rose from the dead. And with Jesus rising from the dead, He was declared to be the Son of God. That's, that's a sign of his, his divinity. We know that Jesus did a lot of things. You know, He healed people, uh, raised other people from the dead. He could walk on water. But, but here was Jesus rising from the dead. Now, the third and uh, the fourth thing is, if you look up here on this slide, it says there, that Jesus has the keys to death in Hades. This is from Revelation chapter 1. When I saw Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me, and he said, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last, I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death in Hades. Now what does that mean, uh, I hold the keys? Uh, Well, 
uh, I have my house keys, right? Uh, and without my house keys, I can't get into my house, right? You can't get into my house because you don't have the keys. I have the keys. But Jesus says he has the keys. It means that he has the power to open the door for you or to close the door for you. And what he's saying is he has power, isn't it? Whoever holds the key has power. See, I have, the, I have my car keys. I have the power to move the car. So Jesus is saying, I have the power over life and death. And this is not uh, empty words of Jesus. No, trust me, I have the power of life and death. He has power because he has conquered death. Right? It's not something which he hasn't done before. He has been through death and come back. So he has the power over life and death. Now, some people say, well, you know, I don't know if there's eternal life because who has ever come back from the dead and tell you that there's eternal life? Well, Jesus has. Jesus has died and come back. He says, look, there is eternal life and I have the power over it. But then notice the other thing he says there. It's very interesting. He says, I have the power over death and Hades. Uh, Hades is, the, is a word for hell, a damnation. So not only does Jesus have power over eternal life and death, but also your destination, whether you'll be in heaven or whether you'll be in hell. And that's why he is the judge. He says, verse 31 of Acts chapter 70, He has set a day where he will judge the world of justice by the man he has appointed. Uh, this is God, right? He has given proof to this to all men by raising him from the dead. See, Jesus is the judge who will not only give life, eternal life, or whether you get death, or whether, you know, but he also judge your destination, whether you end up in hell or whether in heaven. Because all of us have a passport. Okay, uh, some of you might be Malaysians, some of you might be Singaporeans, some of you might be something else, who knows? But we have an eternal passport, an eternal destination, an eternal home. That's what this passage is saying. And Jesus is saying, where is your eternal passport on your home, right? There is no, there are only two destinations, two passports. Okay, there is the, the heaven passport and the hell passport. And Jesus, because he is the Son of God, he has that power. He has the power to decide where your, your destination is. Now, as we come to the very end then, as uh, we think about the resurrection of Jesus this Easter Sunday, it's not a piece of information we can ignore, the resurrection of Jesus. Because it's a very uh, inconvenient truth. Not the movie, right? But it's a very inconvenient truth because Jesus, through his resurrection, has so many implications for our life. Whether you have a relationship with God or not. Whether you have eternal life or not. Whether you go to heaven or hell or not. So you can't ignore the resurrection of Jesus. You have to really decide, is it true or is it false? Is it possible or is it impossible? Because Jesus, through the Bible, shows that his resurrection is real, is witnessed by many, many people. And it's not uh, something which you believe because you have no reasonable basis for believing it, but you believe because it is the most reasonable, the most logical, the most uh, sound way of thinking given to us, the resurrection of Jesus. So always remember... Uh, if I could, could leave you this slogan that I read before. Okay, it's up here on the slide. It says, No Jesus, no Christ, no life. No Christ, no life. Okay, it's uh, very catchy. But you know, I remember when I first saw it, I was thinking, what does it really mean? What does it mean, no Christ, no life? No Christ, no life. Uh, well, 
it is because Jesus has rose from the dead that this statement actually makes sense. Because He rose from the dead, if you know Him, then you will know life, eternal life, true life. Because He rose from the dead, if you don't know Him, then you will not have life. Because He is not giving you the life. There's a part in the Bible where it says, Jesus says, you know, He's knocking at the door, He's knocking at the door, and He's asking you to open it. And if you open it, Jesus says, I will come in and I'll have a relationship with you. And that's what Easter is about, isn't it? The good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. He's knocking at the door. is whether you want to open the door and let Him in or not. Okay, so let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, help us to see that we need time and that you've given us time this weekend to consider the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we need to see that this one fact means more to us than a lot of facts in this world because it has such a deep impact in our life, whether we have forgiveness, whether we have a relationship with you, whether we can know you as God, whether we will have eternal life, or whether we will die, or whether we will have heaven, or whether we will have hell. Help us to always make the right choice, to investigate the claims of Jesus, and to see that all these eyewitness testimonies give us a grounding, a solid rock to put our trust in Jesus that we are not gullible, that we are not weak-minded, but we are rather reasonable and logical because your Son has come, He has appeared, He has died, and He's risen again. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.